This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. We are at it again with the Midwife Mail Podcast. Welcome to the show. I am Greg Scheinman. If you like what you hear, give us a good review. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Podcast Arena, anywhere podcasts are found. Check it out at Greg Scheinman on Instagram. Uh, and at gregshyman.com for the blog, the website, all other things Midlife Mail. Today, I am joined by Mr. Shane Robinson. He is from the Darrow Company, a development platform uh, in commercial real estate here in Houston by way of New York. That's right. Yes, like me also. Um, Welcome, Shane. Thanks. Appreciate you having me, Greg. I'm glad to have you here. Uh, we, We first met through the D10, with the D10 Decathlon, which is becoming something of a theme on the, on this podcast yep, also. Yep, yep. Um, have had some great, great guys, great athletes, great businessmen on the show so far. Um, so I'll start right there and then we can work, work our way around. Have you been an athlete all your life? You know, I, I was a mediocre, like, high school athlete, but... Until I, around my junior or senior year of high school, I kind of came into my own, and it was in track and field, football, um, played soccer, but I wasn't that great, so I kind of gave that up early. Was never really into baseball; it was just too much of a time commitment. But I did excel in track and field. At one point, I was labeled the fastest white kid in the state of Florida by the time I was a senior in high school, and it was because I was running collegiate times in the 400 and 200 um, in 11th and 12th grade, and so I did pick up a lot of attention. But I wasn't much to look at. I was, you know, maybe 145 pounds all wet. Uh, but I had the wheels to, you know, keep me going around the track and the lungs to make it happen. Um, I tried to parlay that into a college track career, um, but realized quickly that that's a career, and I wasn't ready for that type of commitment. And, and I you was mean looking collegiate for, athletics. Co- yeah, mm-hmm. collegiate collegiate athletics. Like literally, it's a it's a it's a program. You know, you. They've got your day scheduled, your week scheduled, your month, your your whole year, and if you fall off the, off the schedule, they really in pretty hard, and they control every aspect of your life in some aspects. And so I just after trying it, I just said it wasn't for me anymore, and I was going to Florida State during the '90s, right? And that's when I was mm-hmm. out there doing it. And you got to remember that's when Florida State was the most dominant college football team in America, and the Bowden era. Right? Yeah, the Bowden era, right? And it was at its peak era. I mean, we, were, we went to more national championships in a 10-year stretch than any other team in America up to that point and even to the present day. And so when you're in a college environment that is more party egocentric than, <clears throat> than the track team, uh, you kind of get distracted and, and find focuses elsewhere. <laughs> Do you get a shot? I mean, does the, the football team probably looks at track guys too. You know, play. it was funny. Um, I knew a couple of the football players, and... One of them was like, you know, you should, you, you, the coach may look at you because you're small enough. And that was like, you know, back, you gotta remember, like, work done. He wasn't more than a five foot nine guy, but he mm-hmm. was 195 pounds of solid muscle. I maybe gained 20 pounds by my second year of college. So I think at my peak, I was 185 in college. By that time, I wasn't fast anymore and I didn't have distance. <laughs> that was, that was just sure, like, sheer, like, going to the gym, working out. 
But what, I mean, what, you know, the question was, have I always been an athlete? I've always had an athletic mindset though, right? So I ran, I ran hard, I trained hard. I, I never quit when my body quit. I kind of just pushed you know, at, at every level. And I learned how my body worked and how to tune it to be efficient. And so I realized that, you know, sports wasn't for me, but I wanted to be, I wanted to stay in shape and maintain a healthy lifestyle. And so I got heavy into to training and, and into the gym and, and kind of maintaining that way of life. And I realized very early on in college, like that was my stress relief, right? You know, mm-hmm. with everything that was going on, I would I go to the gym, work out, I would relax as opposed to coming out all wound up. And that theme has carried through my entire life until this present day. Were there any pockets or periods that, um, where it wasn't? You know, I mean, we get married, we have kids, we, oh. you know, we travel, our work schedules take over, you know, the, the dip areas, whether it was, you know, injury or, or just life. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've had periods where I think the longest period where I didn't physically step into a gym has been six months since I was 19 years old, okay? And that came because uh, when I relocated from New York back to Houston after getting married and having kids and trying to figure out, my wife and I were like, we're not staying in New York anymore. It's time to go back to Texas where we can have our third child and you know, pick up our life and actually have a, a balanced life. Because living in New York City, is it, it's hard, but it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And when you have two kids, you can kind of make it. The third kid they call the status child. <laughs> and we were starting the preschool process, and we're in our mid to late 30s. And so we just decided that you know it wasn't right with the third kid coming, so we came back to Texas. But the job I took was also a career change, because I left management consulting to, be, to devote my time 100% to commercial real estate. And I landed with a, with a big four accounting firm in one of their financial advisory practices. And... That was a demanding job. You know, it was like drinking out of a fire hydrant every day of the week <laughs> um, for four years. And in that four-year stretch, the first first year, year and a half, I, I, there was a six-month stretch right out the gate where I just couldn't go to the gym. It's like I was trying to find my way at the office and in my new career. And plus, we had a third child that was just on the cusp of coming. Mm-hmm. At two, we were trying to settle into our houses. Um, so there were a lot of... Uh, things that got in the way of me from going to the gym. So for me, that at that time, what I did was I went out and actually bought a gym system from a, a defunct uh, gym facility and a nice Cybex system, multi, you know, multi-station. Back, you don't see them as often. Right. You know? But this it, is the, the stuff that, that's, that's great about, like, okay, I got a problem, I got to solve it. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, knew I, I knew I had a limited amount of time. So I bought it put it in my garage. I had that prototypical, like, I mean, you know, free weights, the bench press, the whole nine uh-huh. yards, plus all the stacks that were built into the systems. It was a five-station system. So I gave myself the ability to have a full-body workout, which solved a lot of my problems because I was working 12, 15-hour days, mm-hmm. plus I had a third child and a baby that just came in July of that year. So this is all 2011. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I made it work. I figured out how to make it work at the house. And I think that's at the, at the crux of this is the, the figuring out how to make it work. I mean, and that that's in everything. Uh, the easy move is, well, I don't have anything to figure out. I'm just going to do the job and I'm just going to let the other stuff go. You yeah. know, the, the harder move um, is, 
Well, let me think about this because I'm not going to eliminate health and fitness from my lifestyle completely. Mm-hmm. I've got to figure out a way to, to work a 12 or 15 hour day for a while, to have three kids, okay, and still find time to actually do this. So I got to you double down and make an investment in the cars I'll live outside. You know, in the driveway. That's exactly right. I told my wife, I said, I said, Elizabeth, you know, it's either me or me keeping my sanity and bringing my stress levels down or I, you know, spend this money on this gym system. And so she's like, just go ahead and spend it. And when I ran the numbers on it, I just recently sold, as of about a month ago, that same gym system for what I paid for it. That's hilarious. Right? Do you think it's because it's a collectible now? Or do you think it's because actually no, like, no, because, they sold, because, hold their value so well? No. It, it, it was because, A, I bought it at auction, uh-huh. right? So, A, I got a savings there. But more so because the guy who bought it from me, same story. Three kids, working out from home, mm-hmm. didn't like the way the gym was going for him with his wife. And his daughter was going in, and he felt like it was getting a little weird for his kids there with the other guys at the gym. And so he was like, he, did, he pulled himself out of all of that. Plus, he works from the house. And he wanted it to all kind of be at home. Mm-hmm. So it was just the right guy for the right situation. And he saw that how well I took care of the system. Like, I mean, it was a great system. It came out of a professional gym. They were liquidating everything in auction. I just was at the right place at the right time. I, I maintain everything. I mean, I'm the type of guy that can have a pair of flip-flops. I do. I literally have a <laughs> pair of flip-flops from college I bought in 1995. And people are still <laughs> like, hey, where'd you get the new flops from? I'm like, these are 25 years old now, man. So take care of your stuff, people. Okay. <laughs> if you take care of it, it takes care of you. It's one less thing to have to think about. Do you, I, I would have that type of attention to detail or compulsion or whatever you want. Yeah. That applicable in all areas of your life? Yeah, I've been known to be a little um, over the top when it comes to perfectionism. And it's not perfectionism. And I always tell people this. It's like, I have to remind them that it's not that I'm, I'm OCD I'm a perfectionist. It's just that I know how I want things done. And it's, I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for me. And I have a vision and I want to see it come together that way. And, and go ahead. Can you say that that way to other people? Yes. I've learned how to say that that way. Yes. Because that's hard. Mm-hmm. It is. The, the being able to express yourself directly without offense or judgment or anything because you do know what you want that that's really hard Uh, and I want to know more about that because like I wrestle with that too okay I I know what I want I know how I want it done you're not really doing that you know how do I get that there you know yeah you know it's it's funny because I married a southern girl who I call her the silent assassin and that you never see her coming and when you do you're dead (laughs) All right, but she gets stuff done. But she goes the long, kill you with kindness path. You know, I'm just going to keep asking questions and kind of coax you through the process. I'm like, you could have done it five times over if you had just kind of chopped away at it quickly and efficiently without offending anybody or hurting their feelings. And I, I'll tell you, the one thing that, that I, I learned from living in New York, and this is a big misnomer about New Yorkers, is that... New Yorkers, they're the greatest people on the planet because they're really friendly. They're super helpful. 
and they, but they just know where they they just know what they need to know and where what they've got to do and how to get there because it's not that they're in a rush it's that they have a schedule they got to follow to get on a train to get downtown they go to a meeting and so when you start getting into this mindset of how you prioritize your obligations and your and everything that's kind of on the peripheral of your life you realize that some things you have to push other things you can let slide mm-hmm. and like my wife always says pick your battles and I agree with that like she's like some things I'm just I'm not going to think hard about because I know I, I'm not going to win it today. So My wife is so much better at that than I am. I mean, I would for a while fight every one of them, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I, I'd get closure. <laughs> you know? Wouldn't be the closure that I want. Right. Okay? Um, and it wouldn't be a great use of time <laughs> to do, to, to argue every single thing versus again, pick your battles. Man, she's, so much better at that than I am. Yeah. That's a total work in progress for me. Right. And, you know, so I, I learned coming from New York, having a, like that fast-paced kind of family mindset where everybody in my family is like, you know, snap your fingers, bang, 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 let's get it done, don't screw around, stop wasting time. You get, my brother told me, he goes, I, was, I used to work HVAC during college summers in New York City for my brother. I walked up to him one day with, a, with one hand empty he goes, yo, what's up? You got two hands. You walk up to me with two things, one in each hand. Don't ever walk up with something empty. And he's like, you know, use what you got efficiently. And I think to my, one thing I've learned about my personality and, and, and the people I interact with day in, day out is I tell them, like I tell consultants when I first meet them, I'm going to be great to you. As long as you do what you say you're going to do, you deliver when you're supposed to, and you don't give me the run around. When you do all of those things, the opposite of all those things, and, and you treat me that way, I'm going to get on you. And I'm going to tell you it's coming. So don't act like you didn't know it was happening mm-hmm. or you're doing this to me. And that, I think that's, that's the idea of, like, like you were saying a minute ago, Greg, I, I call that not wanting to be taken advantage of. And I think it's managing expectations also. I mean, I think a lot of relationships business or personal, they're not managed well at, at, at the start. Right. Mm-hmm. Which means people then are evolving or, or dodging and weaving, you know, because they didn't have that straightforward, transparent conversation of what the expectations were you know, at, at the beginning. And right. regardless of what category, whether it's, whether it's consultants, I mean, and in my business too, I mean, insurance and risk management, we really want to man- you really want to manage those expectations at, at at the onset because you could on both sides you could end up with a client you don't want mm-hmm. you know a relationship that goes poorly we don't understand how you work I don't understand how you work personally or professionally so I think that approach you know is the the right one to have but again often people are are leery for whatever or or don't have that skill set and I think that's more emotionally and personally or even a little sensitivity ego thing because it yeah. to to just go out and and shoot straight you know it's hard people you know if we all walked around and kind of engaged each other by handing each other a scoping document right and and, it, and that would spell out exactly what is going to transpire in the course of that engagement mm-hmm. i think everybody would start feeling comfortable because we all operate too much in the gray area mm-hmm. and it's like i don't want to hurt your feelings or your personality type or you know, blah, 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 blah. But when you look at a professional engagement, when I was a management consultant in New York and prior to that here in Houston, you know, everything in my life revolved around a scoping document and then an agreement. And 
you live and die by those. And if something goes sideways, it was always easy to go, hey, you know, it wasn't in the scope. So if you want to change the scope, we can add it, but don't sit here and yell at me because you want something that wasn't in the scope. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, and and I also, so I have a psychology undergrad. That was my first throwaway degree. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Great degree to get. I told you we work back into these yeah. things. <laughs> yeah. Great, great degree to get. I mean, I went down that path because I got really heavy into the cognitive psychology. And then I, I so I loved it. I thought I was going to go off to law school and just, you know, I finished that psychology degree. But with cognitive psychology, you know, it's the understanding of why people do the things they do mm -hmm. and the decision-making process that we go through. And, you know, I was going through that and then I'm like, well, you know, what else? And so I started doing a communications degree and I was doing that kind of on the side just to, just to pick up some extra speaking skills and some persuasion skills mm -hmm. and critical thinking and just all these things that really are very applicable to business. But then I ultimately wound up getting a second business degree or getting a, a business degree as my second degree in uh, business information systems, right? So it was always about, there's always been, every, everything in my life has kind of been process driven okay, and structured. And I think that kind of plays to my, I know how I want things to be mm -hmm. mindset, right? Um, and so like now I've learned that I set the expectation with people when I meet them and I, I can play it loose or I can play it tight, just depending on the arrangement or the situation at hand. Um, in business, I try to play it tight and keep it on a level playing field. And if I see a deficiency, I, I call an audible on it. You know, and I say, hey, look, this is not working out. Let's, let's re address it and get it done and dealt with and move past it. Um, but, you know, it, it is like, like so many people of my age bracket right now in their early 40s, like a lot of our friend sets are getting divorced. Mm -hmm. And I ask the husbands, and they can't even describe why they're getting divorced. And to me, you know, it's, if you can't describe why you're getting divorced, whether because you don't want to, but maybe because you just can't verbalize it, mm -hmm. then to me that's an indication of why you're getting divorced, right? Because you can't communicate with your wife, right. possibly. And I, me and my wife, I mean, months ago, we were like watching two sets of friends go through divorce and we, nobody saw it coming. And I remember turning to her in the bathroom one morning before getting ready for her day and my day and I said, are we okay? I'm like, are we okay, right? Like, <laughs> do, is there something wrong with our lives? I'm like, I'm not cheating on you, right? I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not a drug user. Um, I, you know, I, I might be a little rough around the edges sometimes and kind of straight and yeah. blunt. And I said, you kind of dance around things and take it slow and easy. I said, you're always on the road traveling to work. And she's like, no, I'm like, she's like, I'm straight and narrow too. Like, was this my bathroom or your bathroom? Was this, which conversation? Okay, because this could be the same conversation. Right? Okay, really, I mean. But, but you know, but what I took, but what I realized from that is like, I don't think a lot of people have those checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Like the honest kind, where you, where it's hard to ask the questions. Like, am I being good to you? Mm -hmm. And I asked my wife that. Like, am I being the person you want me to be? Yeah, they're great questions. Um, and I think that stuff. I mean, now married sixteen, seventeen years, two kids. It it ebbs and flows. Mm -hmm. in, in there too, I feel like there there are times when we're 
like totally in sync and deeply connected and boom, we're on the same page and stuff's not getting to me and it's not getting to her that maybe, you know, whether it's pick up this kid or go here or let's go out there. Yeah. And other times, like every little thing could be, you know, is could be a, a spark, not the good spark, but maybe the other, right, right. you know, the, the other spark. And I think it does ebb and flow, but I think those kind of checkpoints or, or hit the reset button, you know, everyone and, and go back over and say, okay, um, and we're doing, we're going through a, a one right now, actually. Both our kids are at camp. You know, they're, they're gone. Yeah. yeah? Um, so I've done like five episodes in like six, six seven days also yeah. working. I mean, because we're not racing around the clock with every little activity. But we're also, you know, pushing that reset button, that, that reconnection button yeah. of, you know, what's important. Like we were joking the other night that, you know, the, the first day or two that they go away, you really don't say a word to each other. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Because you have no idea, like, you're not even used to communicating on a level that doesn't start with, hey, you know, are you getting Auden, or are you grabbing Harper, or we have this to do. It was like blissful silence. Like, we were both happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. sorry, boys. But like, you know. And then after, like, that 48-hour period is over, it starts to be, well, well where do you want to go? That's right. Uh, where should we have dinner? Or... You know, I'm going to take yoga at 4.30 in the afternoon, you yep. know? I'll be home at 6. You know? what, should, what should we do after? I mean, and these amazing kind of reconnection opportunities, casual, no pressure, no stress. Want to stay in, want to go out. And yeah. I think we spent an hour and a half walking through Central Market, you know, <laughs> the, other, yeah. the other night. No rush. No, no rush at all. And, and you can eat the food you want, not, yeah. the ki- not the stuff the kids want or complain about. Yep. And... You know, I think I think those time making time for yourself, you know, making time for your, for your spouse, those things are hugely important. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, statistically, you and I are going to hear more of those stories that you started with, you know, yeah. than than the other ones. Statistically, more guys in their forties, okay, are going to be getting divorced. Yeah, they're, they're they're married a certain period of time, 10, 15 years. Kids are getting a little bit older. Life is changing, you know. They get to that, this is it, you know, or is this it situation? Yep. Yeah, no, there's something about that 40, that 40th birthday where it kind of, there's a demarcation point where you look at your life like, is this the person I want to be with? Because you've presumably been married 10 or 15 years at that point, maybe. And then you're looking at your career and you're like, "Ah, you know, I really love it. I'm going places or "Ah, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm sick of it. Right? So... All of these things are starting to, to and you're looking at your checking account, you're looking at everything else, and, and you're assessing, like, where do I go? Because if you do it at 40, you've got 25 years that you can still really execute something achievable. You do it at 50, you know, maybe you got 25 years, but the likelihood of it's less. But then also there's this mental, there's this perception of the marketplace, like, well, you're 50 and you're resetting. You're really broken, right, as a person, possibly. So, so there's a negative side of that reset, and I think a lot. Of, that's why a lot of men and women kind of really look at like I don't, you know, I think it's like a, when everybody says oh, there's a, that midlife crisis is forty. It's like forty and sixty, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Fifty, everybody's and seems to be hunky dory. Well, I feel like every I mean, look, I feel like everybody's racing. You know, everything you know, seems like it starts sooner. They're racing, racing, mm. racing. Um, but at the same time. You know, you're racing to achieve more and do more earlier and everything. We are living longer, you know? We are able to take better care of of ourselves. And I feel like those things are are kind of in conflict a little bit because 
you know, you say, oh, like, you know, maybe if you're resetting at 50, like, like you're, you're broken a little bit. And I get what the perception, you know, may be. Um, and these stereotypes come from a, lo- a large sample size. You know, they're stereotypes yeah. for a reason. You're these things. But I'm also kind of feeling like there's this aspect that guys are coming into now, too, where the second half can be better than the first. Yep, yeah. yeah. We're a little bit more <clears throat> experienced. We're a lot more experienced. We've weathered a bunch of storms. And we're, we're taking a little better care of, of ourselves. Our kids are going to be okay, you know, yep. without it. There's this second half now that can be a little bit better, you know, than, than the first. Um, maybe it's not in corporate America. I don't know, you know, where you're perceived, but, but entrepreneurially, um, quality of life, um, lifestyle, physically, you know, uh, mentally, you know, and you get to a point maybe the experiences are better than things, you know, like all this stuff is starting to come together. Yep. Uh, and I'm seeing guys in their 40s think differently about the second half of their life, or at least I'm hoping they're feeling differently about the second half of their lives. Yeah, you know, um, I, to- I, I totally agree with that. And because you, there's a when we had lunch a few weeks back, something you said to me about how you pick and choose how you're going to meet with folks, whether it's a fitness workout or lunch, but not not for drinks or for dinner, because it's just not a good use of the time and energy and effort and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I might not be doing what you said justice, but that's generally along the lines of what I think you're yeah, trying to get across. Yeah, yeah. And um, I that I I took to, I took that to heart. And started looking at my circle of friends and the people that I'm with and starting to, like, I, I told my wife this. I said, you know, Greg shared this with me and now I'm looking at things. And I said, you know, maybe there is some, some pruning, pruning to be done because it, maybe they're helping me hold back what I can be next, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a comfort level there to some extent. And, and, and then, and then, so it was, you know, like ever since I've, I did the D10 and I've come to know Dave Maloney really well now and, and getting to know you and and a few other folks that have that same kind of, uh, mindset about life and fitness and career and entrepreneurialism and just everything that's wrapped up into that. And I'm starting to realize like, that's more of me now. That's who I'm like mm-hmm. becoming and as opposed to those people who are settling into kind of their rut in life right and I'm not one to, to like find a rut I don't like ruts I like I like things that change yep but forward change right and then so I have friends who are in these ruts and they're like how do you do it man how did you jump out of like a management consulting career of 15 years and just decide you're going to do commercial real estate and I got to remind them that Hey, while well, I was in New York doing management consulting, in a, in a you know high stress environment, a lot of work obligations and staff and the whole nine yards, I decided I was going to switch to commercial real estate, which was, you know, coming from the family side of the business. And I was going to make that my long term objective. So I was wearing two hats for two years, mm-hmm. between going to grad school to get my master's, and um, working full time, going to school part time, raising two kids. Knowing that I was going to have to make a career transition, take a step back before I could go forward again, and coming back to Houston, I executed that plan. Like I started out with a plan, though. 
I didn't fly by the seat of my pants. And <clears throat> I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, now I'm not in a rut. I've, I've been going along and, you know, I always like, I always try to have a couple wins during the course of my day, even though I know that maybe I'm losing a battle somewhere else mm-hmm. on a larger scale, but I'm winning something daily and I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's just the, the conversation with my kid or the light bulb on one of my kids goes off yep. in my head, their heads or like in my life, something lines up good. Um, but you know, I, like these buddies of mine that are having these conversations with, how did you do it? I'm explaining to them, like, you, you gotta be running two tracks, man. You, you almost have to have that plan A, plan B, and you gotta, once plan A, you've maxed it out, then you, you've gotta make sure you're watering plan B and you're really nurturing it and you're committed to it and you're, you're not afraid of what that's gonna look like because you've done the, the work. You've done the 80% up front to get mm-hmm. the, that final 20%, which is the, really where the, all the reward is. And um, so I've been, I've been kind of operating that way for the last couple of years and um, a lot of it has to do with uh, making good decisions with, with who, you, who you partner with. And I find myself gravitating a lot to people that are 10, 15 years, 20 years my elder for mentoring roles, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people that are in various industries, you know, entrepreneurs that own companies, real estate developers, people that are fishermen, you know, um, but they all have something unique going on in their life, <coughs> something that, that is a good takeaway for just about anybody, and they're happy. You know, the one thing that I realized, like, these people are all happy, mm-hmm. really. I mean, they're genuinely happy. And right now, like, at my subconscious level, my goal is to get to that, I want to, all the, all the time happy state of mind, right? Yep. And so I'm looking, I've assessed my life, and I'm shedding the things out of my life that are anchors that are things from the past. And it's not hard to do. Just, just got to take the time to assess and commit and execute. Well, I think it is hard to do. Or, or, it, or it's harder than maybe you let on, okay? And I'm doing the same, a similar process, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which has been also similar. Who is in my life? Who do I, in a way, want to keep in my life, who maybe, you know, maybe we're not as aligned as we as we used to. You know, you get into these as you're saying ruts or habits, you know, or circles or whatever, right. whatever those things may be. And I think for a while I was living more out of balance, you know, um, and not as authentically to my true self, you know, as as I needed need to be. Right. Know? Hence, some of the schedule change. You know, the schedule changes alone, um, and if that may or may not work for some other people, you know, also. Um, but, you know, if I'm damaging myself to an extent by trying to conform or be something I'm not or be in a place I don't really want to be, mm-hmm. you know, that, that has a, that takes its toll, you know, over time. Um, and having assessed a lot of this stuff and, and figuring out or at least finding out a little bit, maybe, maybe I really, I feel like an outlier because I am an outlier, because I'm in the wrong group. But when you get into the right community or with the right people or similar right. mindsets and schedules, all of a sudden you're not the, you don't feel like the outlier anymore. You feel more connected. Oh, okay. There are 
50 other guys, you know, like yeah. me who would prefer to do this than, than this, you know, or who might think more similarly. Um, and I think it gets down to, you know, being authentic you know, uh, and, and figuring out who, who you are. And some of us figure that out sooner rather, you know, sooner than, mm-hmm. than others. Um, and maybe I'll get there by the time I run away. <laughs> you never know. Yep. But it's, you know, the, the willingness and ability to change, you know, to reassess you know, or acknowledge you're in a rut or something's not working yeah. and, and change that. And then the, the ability or willingness also to, to show some vulnerability. Oh, yeah. too. Um, and acknowledge some shortcoming or that, you know, you've been doing some things wrong. You know, you're feeling a certain way and you got to. And you got to change that too, you know, and adapt, you mm-hmm. know, from from that. Um, and those conversations have happened you know, internally for me; they've happened externally. And it's shift, and it's shifting everything. You know, it's shifted my health, shifted my mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quite frankly, it's shifting my book of business. Even the types of people and companies that I want to work with and want to work with me. You know, putting stuff out there, even like this. Some people don't take it very well. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. You know, like you know. Other people, wow, you know, like we should hang out more, you know? Yeah. So instead of dwelling on the negative, you know, or fixating on the negative or the one person that doesn't like this or doesn't want to talk about that or still expects me to be out, you know, in the doing this, 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 and this with them and can't figure out why I keep, I'm saying no, you know, mm-hmm. to those things, like, gravitate towards the positive and the, and the feedback and the things that are coming in that are, that are great. We should hang out more. And I, well, I didn't really know you very well, but that's great if you're connecting yeah. on a level. And just, just trying to do that stuff and see, see where, it, where it takes me. Yeah. You know, the, the, it's funny, vulnerability. It's one of those things that I think you age into, right? Because when you're young, your mindset is when you're a teenager, you don't know crap, right? But you think you know everything. When you go to college, everything's brand new, and you think you got life by the balls. And then when you get out of college, you realize you really don't know what you're doing or where you're going, but, but you're you know, marching down a path. And, and then you, know, you, you get married, you have kids, you have a career, but I think we all start off like physically strong, mentally strong, and we're not necessarily as vulnerable as we sh- we could be or should be. Like we don't, as society, I don't think we a lot of us like men specifically. We don't have a lot of that um, empathy, mm-hmm. right? And and the, you know they, my wife and I were having this conversation last night when we were coming back from the plane from being in New York for the past three days for business, and we we're talking about empathetic boys that are you know. 10 and 10, 12, 13 years old and had them being empathetic to other boys their age because they're all developing at a different rate, right? Mm -hmm. Mentally, like mature-wise. And um, some boys are, you know, all testosterone because of baseball and football, soccer, whatever they're playing. Other kids don't do that. They're more, you know, into the books in school. And, you know, I, I guess, I don't know if it's at that point that you see what empathy is and kind of live it or it's kind of brought into your life via your family, your social surroundings, or what. But as adults, like I, I, there aren't many of us that have empathy anymore. 
Um, but and then from that, vulnerability becomes kind of a challenge too. It, and I realized that about myself. But then having children is what brought me out of that and made me more mm-hmm. empathetic and even more more so vulnerable. Letting my children see me be upset about something for the right reason, as opposed to losing my temper about something, yep. has has made them realize that like dad's a real person too. Like he's just not this guy who just you know takes care of all the stuff around the house or deals with this or deals with that and is kind of you know, a shell of a person and unreachable by with me and and so I as you get older I feel like like my dad when I was a kid he 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 was like tough on me but later on in life man he was like a cake to me I mean he was just it was just not not like a cake, but like like a, it was like a cakewalk with him. He was super cool, and everything was huggy and fun and great. Mm-hmm. And then right as we started to get into that groove, he unexpectedly dies. And so, you know, he was seventy. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, well, I, you know, that's who he might have become, and we might have had a better relationship because I kind of resented him for that stuff that he did to me when I was younger, growing mm-hmm. up. Because um, it was always, you know, growing up, it was always like, you know, get it right, don't make mistakes. You got to work harder. You know, you know, you know, these are things you got to excel at. Yeah. It was always the push. And seeing that later on in life, that it wasn't about that anymore. It was more about like family and being togetherness. And and so now I'm looking at my kids, and sometimes I push, and sometimes I'm like, no, it's more about being about the family and about us. I think, and and again, you're back to the to the combination, you know, and and each of our own personal life experiences that shape, you know, our development. You know, you had your dad until seventy, and you got to see what you're saying two two different sides, two cycles mm-hmm. you know, in there. You know, my dad was forty seven when he passed away, right? Um, and I was seventeen, and two two younger two younger brothers, so. Up to seventeen, I was like bulletproof. I mean, he was soft, man. But and not so. But we were close. He he was communicative. He was affectionate. You know, he was awe-inspiring in terms of confidence and everything else. And I was, you know, bulletproof. Like, okay, always had somebody to talk to, and always had somebody telling me I was fantastic. You know, and uh, don't let that thing get to you. Don't let. I mean, nothing. You could take him. Or, oh, getting bullied by that kid? Well, here's. You, Punch first. Like, here's how you're going to take care of this situation. And yeah. go do it. And there wasn't any topic that was off, you know, to off limits. And then when you lose it, at a, lose that at a young, a younger age. And I went off to college. And you lose, I kind of feel like, you know, like, like lose some of your mojo a little bit. Lose mm-hmm. some of your, your confidence a little bit. You don't always have that person, like, right there telling you and the, and the mentorship. And that took a while to kind of bring it back, you know, and I still look at things in terms of that window of 47, which is two years, you know, away. Yeah. For me, that things can change instantly. And what, how do I want to be with my boys? You know, what's the example I want to set? Right. Um, the way that I want to parent. I always say that, you know, there's, there's a huge difference between being, being a dad, you know, being, being a parent, you know, being a dad is like awesome. It's easy, you know, yeah. like let's go play ball and I'm capable of running and jumping and playing and everything is great and don't make your bed. Let's go jump on your bed, you know, and yeah. all the dad stuff is amazing. You know? The parenting shit's hard. Yeah. Like you got to do your homework. Okay. Or you need to eat a little bit better or, you know, your mom, the, 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 like the parenting stuff and the responsibility stuff, you know, is, is hard. You need to do your chores or whatever they are to earn this. And 
okay, you can, but it can't be fun all the time. That's you right. Know, also. Yeah. You know, so that, that balance of kind of like how firm, how fair, how much dad, you know, versus how much parent. And that's a conversation a lot at home, too. Well, you know, the boys need this from you, you know. Well, mm. Okay, well, that's hard for me because I kind of still, you know, it's hard for me. Like, I'll, I'll play that role a little bit. But, yeah. you know, naturally, I kind of want to, like, be, you know, you mm. know, like the facial look over me. Like, okay, we're going to do this because, like, and then we're going to, yeah. you know, so it's. It, it's hard, but if it was to be gone tomorrow or in two years from now or whenever, they need to know some shit too. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, I I totally agree with all that. I mean, there are times when my wife is because we have my youngest son is a little undersized for a seven year old. He just turned seven last week, and he's in the, like the barely the eighth or tenth percentile for his age bracket, and but he's got. He's got some. He, he can have some anger management issues from some time, time to time, but he's a good-natured, happy kid. And Elizabeth's like, he's too rough with the big kids. I'm like, and he's like a foot and a half smaller than them. Like his aggression isn't what you see. Isn't the same thing that I see. I see a kid who's got confidence and doesn't see this as being a challenge to him, even though the other kids are visibly bigger and stronger and can push him down he gets right back up and gets after them mm-hmm. and i'm like I, I and she's like you support it and you shouldn't i'm like no that's that's okay because later in life there's going to come a time when he's going to realize that he's the smallest kid in the room but it doesn't mean he has to have the smallest mindset in the room mm-hmm. right and as long as he thinks big it doesn't matter what he physically looks like but i don't want him to start off thinking small because we tell everybody you know, stop, don't hurt Miller. Don't do this, Miller, you're gonna get hurt. And and my my two other kids are of normal size and we have no issues with them. Well, you know what's interesting here is that, that and I've thought about this a number of times too, as we get older and the mental you know, becomes so much more important than, than the physical mm. you know, in there. I mean right now as 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 kids the biggest kid, you know, might be the toughest. Like, we, we started, we size everything up. Okay, well, you know, you're the lineman, you know, or you're the running back, or you're the first baseman, or, you know, you're the, and the kids in the playground, you know, they size size themselves up. And sure, there's, you know, the physical takes a lot of pressing, you know, over, over the men. As we continue to get older, I mean, you can't sit in a business meeting, you know, and just rough people, you know, like the biggest guy in the room doesn't win in the business. The yeah. mindset that, that you're talking about there and... How to have that confidence, you know, how to be able to, you know, be mentally stronger, express yourself, you know, deliver your point, look somebody in the eye, has nothing really to do with whether you're 6'2", 220, or, or, or 5, you know, 5'10", 160. Right. You know? That, you kind of outgrow that stuff because, again, apparently, like, you know, punching people in the face is frowned upon. Like, you can't just resort yeah. to the bigger guy just getting his way in a situation. Society wouldn't function, right. you know, that way. So I do agree that, that the mental toughness, as early as you can start developing mental toughness, and it is a really amazing thing when you see like the little scrappy kid also yeah. controlling the playground, you know, or yeah. controlling the team in there. Yeah. Because he's got it upstairs, maybe some, and some of the others, regardless of their size, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta nurture that. Well, it's like, I mean, you know, uh, Blackstone, big, big international 
conglomerate of all sorts of holdings worldwide. Um, David, I think his last name is Schwartzman, he, he tells a story about him being like the smallest kid growing up and uh, he was always picked on and kind of, um, you know, he held his own, he was scrappy, uh, goes off to college, um, tries to um, like play baseball um, and then it doesn't work out so he decides he's going to stay with the team somehow and I think he winds up like selling hot dogs and stuff like this and he makes a, a cool mint doing this and becomes the captain of the something or other and then but he, he was just like mentally evolving himself throughout all this time because he didn't want to ever be seen as that smaller and here he is now he's you know one of the wealthiest men on the planet owns this huge company but he always had this really great attitude about just getting stuff done and moving forward and, and being, you know, mentally sharp, mm-hmm. right? And he didn't let any of that size factor hold him back. So there's a, there's a lot of people out there that let physical attributes prevent them from being who they totally could be in the end. Yep. Yeah. Do you hold on to stuff or you... Are you like a forgive and forget, or do you hold on to things, or you know, how do you process kind of situations, emotions? John? Yeah, so I'm a I purge physical things. Okay, um, I don't like to have a lot of clutter around me. Um, from a mental perspective, I I. I hold on to certain emotional times of my life and I have a tendency to circle back on them and review them. Not in this mindset of what did I do wrong and why did I do that, but more of like what can I take away from that in this moment that I'm thinking about it because it's a subconscious thought that gets brought to the present. and I. I, you know, I don't know that I can, I, I do have a hard time of like letting go of stuff, like mentally. Like I still struggle over my, my mom's passing, my dad's passing, ex-girlfriend relationships in the past that were a little tumultuous. The ones that were smooth where we were just like, meh, it's over. I don't even give them a second thought, but it's the ones where I thought I was more invested than, than the way it ended. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that, you know, from, you know, they come to, they come to mind from time to time. Uh, business transactions that could have gone better, things that didn't go right at all. Um, I use those more as learning experiences. So you know, I I do. I guess we all have a little mental baggage, um, but it's what you do with it, I think, that really differentiates you and separates you from your peer set. Are you doing anything? Um or practicing anything in your daily routine, you know, that helps you with that. I mean, I know we talked, obviously we talked about the physical, you know, mm-hmm. being an athlete and the, and the stress relief of being in the gym. But what's the the, the daily routine? I mean, are you a, a guy who journals? Are you a guy who meditates? Are you a guy who, like, literally it's just I lift iron and put down iron, you know, or I go to the work. What's, like, what's the daily routine? Yeah. Um, when I wake up, I usually spend the first 15 minutes in bed but whether my wife's still there or by myself and I just 
go through my entire day in my head. And I think about what my priorities are for that day and what I need to accomplish, what I can put off to another day. Um, I then go and immediately address all the emails that I have to take care of that are, so I get rid of urgent things immediately and give those time to go out and cycle back by the end of the day. I then typically will do some reading that's like technical reading or um, business type of reading. Something that kind of gets my mind engaged and fired up and starting to think critically and strategically. And then I'll spend some time directly after that working out, right? Because then, so I've exercised my mind and now I'm going to go exercise my body. What time is this? This is, I, I've done all this before 9 a.m. Okay. Right, so this starts around 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. What time do you go to sleep? Typically between 10.30 and 11. Okay, so you, you need, you get some sleep. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'd like to get more, but I find myself getting less. I blame it on having children, obviously, <laughs> right? I used to be able to sleep in four kids till 9.30, 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Now my alarm clock goes off, my mental alarm clock. I don't even have to set an alarm clock. My mental alarm clock is is going off 536 o'clock. I don't think most high performers, type A people, set, set alarm clocks. Like, I think my natural body clock, like I seem to wake up, I can wake up at 6 o'clock on the nose every single day no matter where I am. Like yep. sight unseen. Don't put a clock around. Don't need the phone around. In any time zone I feel like, boom, I somehow get up at 6 o'clock. So and that's true. I, I'm the same exact way. Um, in New York, just this past few days, um, I took a nap in the afternoon one day. And I said, I'm going to, sleep until 2.15. I kid you not, I woke up at 2.13 after having taken a decent nap. I mean, I just, like, there was something in my mind that just said, you've been asleep for an hour and 13 minutes, get up. And that was it. Um, and I don't even wear a watch because I can generally tell by, by my, like, cycle of my appetite and kind of where I'm at in my progress of my day, almost what time it is to within 30 minutes to 15 minutes of the day. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. From and, and my day is kind of, because of commercial real estate, like more happens between seven and three than nine to five. Okay. So I'm fortunate in that the majority of my day is over by two o'clock, three o'clock. So I'll use the rest of that time to organize what I've got to do the next day or prepare for something later on down, down the end of the week or whatever else is out in front mm-hmm. of me. See, our industry is all over the place. I mean, it could be 24-7, but it gets back to the types of clients that you have, the types of clients you want. You know, you got to set it up, but we can be, I can be in, out. You know, I don't have a set schedule, you know, at all. So I've had to create one, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, I can mm-hmm. just floundering around with, okay, well, I have nobody really checking up on me, you know, for anything. So I've had to create again, that schedule and that discipline around what is it that I want to do or that I need to even do every day, you mm-hmm. know, for myself, physically, you know, mentally, and then what is it that I need to accomplish work-wise, and then over what time periods can I do that with what type of people because, and I've got partners and they're amazing, but we're like two ships passing in the wind because they'll get in later, you know, and they'll work later and go out, you know, later. But yeah. if I'm like you, if my days are starting at five, six o'clock in the morning, Mm-hmm. They they really can't end at eleven at eleven twelve at night. It right. just it just doesn't work, you know. Right. Overall, in there, um, what projects or one? How do you choose the projects that you wanna wanna be involved with? 
uh, what are you doing now that's that's exciting to you? Yeah. And then three part, what's what's challenging to you? And and I guess maybe those things cross streams if you want challenging to be and challenging is exciting. You know? Yeah. Also. Yeah. Um, you know, being in commercial real estate development, there is a you you kind of you, you when you go out and pursue the project you want it to succeed and you want and you you want it to happen okay um, because the projects that I work on are mid to large scale multifamily and commercial development projects that you know are in the 20 30 40 50 million dollar range and in doing those you know when you buy that land and then you start construction and then that deal gets going it feels good. I mean, it's 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 like a that first drag on a cigarette that gives you a nice rush. And I can understand why guys in in real estate or guys that are stock traders and they make money and they they have a lot of success, why they get addicted to that feeling and why they make mistakes down the road, right? So, for me, like what gets me interested in a project is is really finding something that somebody has overlooked something that has been missed, something that has a good story to it, putting a deal together that's complicated, one that takes coaxing a, a partner, like a landowner who we want to partner with, who just said no to everybody else, but then I build a relationship and they say yes to me, and then taking another two years, which I'm living right now, to build a small retail center, right? We're going to get it done, but the part this particular partner is... He's challenging to work with. He's personality all the way through. He's a restauranteur, and he's just a challenge. And then my other partners, you know, they come from deep pockets and have interesting backgrounds. And um, you know, I, I like I like I like providing something, and that's why I like multifamily, I like retail. I like designing something that is part of what we talked about right out the gate, which is. My, I have a vision for something. I see it. I want to see it come to life. I want to see it on the street. I want to see people's reactions to it when they come to it. And then I, I want to hear what people have to say about it once it's there and in place. And like one of the apartment projects that we own, like I read the reviews and you know people have good things to say, people have bad things to say. And when I hear the bad things or read the bad things, I'm like, with property management, how are we going to fix this? What are we going to do? Where are we turning this around? And we implement programs and systems and things to get it changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and all of everything that I try to do, just like you do, it's uh, to me, it's more about like the people than it is about the 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 product. Okay. Yeah. And but I love like getting into psychographics of commercial real estate development. And a lot of developers don't spend a lot of time there because, you know, people don't think there's a psychology to real estate. But just think about how much emotion goes into buying a house. Mm-hmm. That's all psychological. Yep. Right? And, and, it's, and, it's, and there's, because the business end of it is pretty standard. You get a mortgage at an interest rate that you can live with and you're done. But the color of the house, the location, the schools, the layout, what you can do today versus what you can do in five years, maintenance, etc. Commercial real estate is the same exact thing. I mean, it's identical. and But it's even more to the point of how many people are going to come there. Because if you got a property on a corner that's got a, a visibility issue, 
nobody's going to come there. And there, you've created a mental block in some consumer's mindset where they're, <coughs> they're not, they're just going to say, I can't make the right, the right, right hand turn there because it's too close to the tree and I hit it almost, almost hit it last time or did hit it. They'll never come back there again. Just little things like that. So I like solving those, those bigger picture problems. I like dealing with the people on the, on the buy side, the development side, the bank side. And then I like providing a product to people when they get there and they start becoming a part of the product life cycle, they're like, wow, like they like what they see and they want it. They're proud of being there. Mm-hmm. That, and that's what I like about commercial real estate is there's an artistic essence to it that taps into me as an artist because I used to love to draw and paint and um, I spent a lot of time doing that as a kid growing up. Um, and then now it's just, you know, in management consulting, you, you, you have a solution, you build a product, but you don't ever see it come to fruition. You hand it off to somebody else, they run out and do it. And it's like usually a back office technical solution or business solution, process solution. With this, I can see the product come out of the ground and then I can see how people live with it over time. Um, and that's, um, I guess it's a long-winded answer. But there, what was the last part of that question? <laughs> we talked about the projects that, um, that, that you're involved with, uh, what excites you, and kind of, again, what, what, what's challenging what's to you. Challenging? So you got, you, you hit them. I mean, they're, yeah. all inter- they're all interconnected for, for sure. Um, you know, I would say this. The one challenging thing is knowing when to, 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 know, knowing when to let go of, of, of a decision in the sense of that's the best decision you could make for that at that point in time and moving forward. Because in commercial real estate, you can always say, tear it out, do it again. Or wrong color, fix it. But there's a point in time when you've gotta be like, line in the sand, moving past it, not the, not a big enough battle to fight, right? There are other things that you gotta focus on. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I mean, it's very rewarding sometimes. It can also be very, uh, very frustrating because of all the personalities involved well they're very long patient plays right and that's yeah i mean that i was just telling somebody that earlier in the week that you know to be truly successful in real estate real commercial real estate development you've got to have a strong pipeline of projects um to keep you going and those pipeline because a project can stretch three years before you have a significant payoff Mm -hmm. when you're doing ground up and you know you can't it's kind of hard to keep it going and stay motivated in a three-year window so you gotta you gotta layer it like a cake you gotta keep start building layers to that cake so that you know you can get to the icing at some point <laughs> it is there it's, it's a long cycle you know and get involved also and say all the time kind of it's a long sales cycle you know for for what i do also yep. out there um and it's 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 a lot of fun, you know. You develop those relationships. You kind of set your sights on something, whether again, whether it's a piece of land or whether it's a business that we want to be involved with. And you work to get involved, and you you learn, you work your way through the layers. What are the challenges? What are the risks? And said, you've got to keep you've got to keep a lot of irons in in the fire, you yeah. know, to stay engaged and motivated, and to and to deal with the. To deal with the rocky terrain of it, because you know you're going to get the answer you want one day, then you're going to get the absolute opposite. You know you're going to, right. you know, then you're just going to, you're just going to be blown off for another two months. You know, because yeah. other stuff just just c- comes up. You know, it does for for everybody. Um, yeah, and it's disconnecting from the 
the personal aspect of it, you know, you're going after deals and you're talking, and, and you're, you're staking your claim on certain things. A lot of what I have is going, you're going after stuff. Um, but you got really no idea on the other side whether somebody even wants to hear from you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. there's a lot that's out of your control um, in there. Um, yeah, and kind of like sometimes not knowing what's on, what's on the other side. Um, but we, we dove back, dovetail back to, you know, you went beyond communications, you know, as, as psychology into communications. I kind of stopped at communications, you know, so yeah. I really like this stuff, you know, of not really knowing what's on the other side. But if we could just, if we could just start communicating and engaging, like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out pretty quickly whether, whether there's something there. You know? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's true. And, if, you know, the thing about all business today is that it's moving at such a faster pace because we have more, ac- we have more access to information and data than we yeah. used to, right? Because that was kind of like your edge, as if you knew, back 20 years ago, 20, just 20 years ago, if you knew something that somebody else didn't know, it would take them a long period of time to get that same data set or same mm-hmm. level of information before they evened up with you. Now, I mean... You know, it's what I know today. Somebody's gonna know tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and it's 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 all relational. Then after that point, you know, the best deals I've done have been based on relationships, and nothing else. Um, and they've come together because we all set the expectations out front. We all were comfortable with the arrangement. There wasn't a lot of jockeying for position, and there were. And the egos were all left at the door before the conversation got started, right? And I often have to tell people, like, I have no ego in this. My goal is to just get the best deal for both of us. And if I leave a little meat on the bone for your sake or vice versa, I'll sleep better knowing that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's trying to wrench out that last dollar that you might get it done, but you'll never do anything with that, that counterparty again. Yep. And I'd rather have repeat business than one and done business. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Okay. Shane Robinson, Midlife Mail Podcast, Darrow Commercial Real Estate, husband, father, decathlete. Uh, we, we, co- we covered a lot of ground. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Great stuff. Uh, come, back for, come back for part two. Okay? The Absolutely. next The next go round. All right, we are out. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit innsgroup.net.